Thank you, Benjamin. Thanks, Michelle. Good morning, everyone. I am excited about what Austin shared. I, I believe we're going to have to turn people away. That's my hope, that we'll have that many people that want to go and reach out. Thank you, Benjamin. Um, for those of you that are visiting, I had surgery on my knee. I know I'm milking it, but <laughs> allow me that. So I know some of your, your view of a preacher is we already pay him to give a little talk once a week. Good grief, he can't even stand up for that. So, but you don't want to don't swell it. You know, I just got to. So, but anyway, if you're visiting with us, we welcome you. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we will give you one. And I want to encourage all of you to continue to pray. We're, the Holy Spirit's really moving. I've seen quite a number of people make decisions to follow Christ. And one of the things that we're hearing over and over, especially people who are coming from different churches, is I've never heard these things. I've never learned the Bible. So pray that the Holy Spirit will help people and draw them to, to study the Bible together with us and see what God's doing. So also, I want us to pray for our country. I want to encourage you as a Christian to avoid two extremes. One, um, we should not be gloating, um, nor should we be complaining or grumbling. If you, if you like who was elected or you don't like who was elected, um, the most important thing we should do is pray. Pray that God will turn our country towards Christ, that he will um, raise up good people who will make good decisions, especially when it comes to abortion and things like that. These aren't about people. These are about issues. These are about things that matter to God. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a disgrace to any nation. And so the Bible says, pray for your government. Pray for those in authority that we will be protected from persecution and that the church will live a godly life. So let's pray and then we'll start reading. Father, thank you so much that we can pray together this morning. We thank you that you love us. We believe that you have been very gracious to this country over its history. And we pray that you will continue to allow Christians to experience freedom from persecution and that you would awaken your lukewarm and slumbering church that we might truly grow in grace and that you'll cause there to be a revival in America and a passion for lost people. Thank you that you're bringing the nations to us in many ways. So continue, Lord, to um, work in President Obama and in President Trump or, or um, coming President Trump. We pray that both of them will come to know Christ as well as the Clintons and others in leadership. We pray that you'll, you'll turn this country towards the Lord. We thank you for what you're doing. And now as we study from John, it is the Spirit who gives life. So may you speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. If you're just joining us, I've invited you to join all of us in a study of the Gospel of John. We're reading through it together. If you want to get caught up, the, the former studies are all available on our website. But what we're seeing in the Gospel of John is John told us in the prologue that Jesus is the one who, who came into the world this darkened world of sin to offer salvation, to give light. And, and he died on the cross and rose again. And then he says, go into all the world. And, and so what John tells us is that some received him, many would not come to him. So we're walking with Jesus and we're watching him call people to himself. So if you're a Christian, you and I can be feeding on learning how Jesus interacts with lost people, learning how he uses um, metaphors like living water, today we'll learn about bread, the new birth, to invite people to become his followers and to be forgiven. 
And so this morning, this entire chapter is about bread. It's about Christ offering himself. And we saw in chapter 3 that people wouldn't come to Jesus because they love darkness. Last week, we saw that some will come to Jesus because they love the praise of men. They're more worried about why or what people will think. This morning, Jesus is going to start us off by feeding the 5,000. This is the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. So let's take a brief look at this, and then we'll move into Jesus' teaching on bread. So after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. If you look on a map, you'll see that the Sea of Galilee is in northern Israel. It's It's a big lake shaped like a harp about eight miles long, And Jesus did a lot of ministry on the west side. That's where most of the Jews live, like in Capernaum. On the east side, actually, I guess this would be, I don't even want to try to figure that out backwards. But on the east side, it was a lot higher. There was a city of Tiberias where there were a lot of Gentiles. And Jesus would cross back and forth. So it says, he went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So he goes to the east side. And a great multitude was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that there was a great multitude coming to him, said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do couple brief thoughts here. Philip was from Bethsaida, which was nearby. So you're like, why does he single out Philip? So maybe he's sort of gone, hey, Philip, you're from around here. Where's the nearest Stroman factory? <laughs> but don't miss the point. It says this he was saying to test him. And, and we've talked about this before. I just want to remind you of something. Jesus tests us. We, we don't really know whether our faith is strong or weak, if we never experience tests. So when bad things happen, that doesn't mean he's mad at you. The Bible says, consider it all joy when you encounter these trials because they're tests of your faith. And these things produce spiritual progress in our life. So if you're going through a hard time, ask yourself, how am I responding? Am I mad at God? Am I sad? Do I feel had? Am I ready to quit? Or is he testing me in my marriage or in my health or in my job or in relationships, because these things help us to grow. So Philip, it appears probably his faith level was pretty low. Verse 7 says, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. So Philip's like, if I had eight months' salary, I don't, well, I don't know. Now look at verse 8. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? One of the things that strikes me here is, did this boy volunteer this? Or did Andrew say, hey, son, bring me your lunch over here? And, And the commentary I was reading said, you know, this was kind of preposterous. And I'm going, I don't think so. I think this is at least a little bit of faith. This is, this is maybe Andrew's way of saying, well, I saw you take water and turn that into wine. I, I don't know. Could, could you do something with this a little bit? I don't think it was an enormous amount of faith, but it was a start, and it's a great reminder that though we might feel like, what can we do? Little can become a lot when we put it in God's hands. So Jesus says, have the people sit down, and there was much grass in the place, and the men sat down in number about 5,000. Now, that's just men. So add the women and children. 
we may have 15, 20,000 people here. Jesus therefore took the loaves and giving thanks, verse 11 says, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And they were filled, so there was an extravagant amount of eating. He didn't just say, take a bite and that's it. He said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Now you always want to pay attention when Jesus does stuff. A lot of times he's, he's, he's teaching. And I'm wondering here, is Jesus concerned about litter? Is he going, don't leave a mess. Leave it like you came at this is a state park. Or is he saying, I don't like to see things wasted. There's some poor kids over in other areas that could eat this. While these things are probably possible, I think Jesus is teaching a deeper lesson. Don't miss this phrase, because this is the only gospel that says it, that nothing may be lost. Because later in this chapter, Jesus is going to say, of all whom the Father gave me, I lost one of them. So those little fragments of bread laying around represent something more than just, let's keep the place neat. And we'll come back to that. But then it says, when they gathered them up, they filled 12 baskets. Now, while it's possible that that was coincidental, and I believe it was literal, they really did fill 12 baskets with bread, let me suggest two possibilities. One commentator suggested that Jesus is teaching them that he's here and available for the Jews, the 12 tribes. I thought of another possibility. This is early in the ministry of the disciples, and he's trying to teach them that if you follow me, I'll provide for you. You take care of what's important to me, I'll take care of what's important to you. So in Matthew, he says, after telling them to leave everything, they're like, how am I going to feed my family? And he goes, you seek first the kingdom of God. These other things will be added to you. So when Peter went home and he says, and he says I'm quitting fishing, and, and Peter's wife, Annette, you know her name was Annette, because the Bible says he cast a net into the sea. Oh, no, that's, that's, that's only a myth. So, so, but think about this. So when these guys are saying, I don't have a job anymore, Jesus is teaching us that he'll provide. And maybe he took those 12 baskets and said, guys, I got you. I'll take care of you. All right? And that's a good thing for you to go, well, what if I don't, what if I work in a Christian school? I'm not going to make any money. If God calls you to do something that doesn't pay a lot of money, he'll provide for you. So, then we see something else that's not in the other gospels. Verse 14 says, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is the prophet of a truth who's come into the world. And Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, let me remind you of what was going on politically at the time. These people were all expecting a Messiah to show up at any time. And they considered that this Messiah was going to come in power, and he was going to kick Roman bottom. <clears throat> they hated the Romans. The Romans were oppressive, and so they were looking for a Messiah who would come, and they're like, this must be him. And I want you to think about what they, what they could have potentially done here. They could have fomented a rebellion. They could have said, hey, we got five, we got a gorilla, we've got a team right now to get this thing going. So let's all go down to Jerusalem, and let's Let's just start beating up Romans. And any normal person would say, the Romans will kill us. Oh, no, no, not with King Jesus. If he can turn bread like that and do miracles, he's got our back. 
come on, let's go, let's go start some trouble and Jesus will win and kill the Romans. And Jesus goes, no, you don't get it. They wanted the crown without the cross, so Jesus withdraws. He says, no, that's not, that's not what I came for. So he pulls away. <clears throat> so we learn from the other gospels that he went up into the mountain to pray and he told the disciples, get in a boat and cross over. It was nighttime and, I'm, and, and I'll get up with you. Now they're probably thinking he'll take a boat later. So verse 16 says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into the boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. They've actually found one of these boats. There's a boat that's been discovered. You can read about it online, and it seated about 12 people. It's really interesting. It was submerged in in mud, and and when the sea was down, they found an example of what these boats looked like. It's kind of cool. So it says, the sea began to be stirred because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed three or four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. That's an understatement. Don't see that very often. He said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. They were willing, therefore, to receive him into the boat. Now, don't miss this little extra miracle. Immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. Have you ever had to wait forever at the airport? And then you finally get on the plane And they're like, well, we're going to have to wait on the tarmac for another two hours. Wouldn't you just love for Jesus to just sit down next to you and you're landing? You're like, boom, I'm there. This was a great flight. But when he got in the boat, boom, it got to the other shore. Now comes the meat of this passage where Jesus is going to start teaching. So what I want you to do is I want you to think about this. The whole section is about Jesus teaching about the bread of life. So he's going to say, look, I'm the bread of life. And he's going to do a number of things. First of all, he's going to say to the people, look, I want you to seek the bread that gives eternal life. That's the first thing he's going to do. He's not talking about communion here because they wouldn't even have known what communion is. He's just just like he used water in chapter 4. Now he's using bread. He goes, look, there's a bread that can give you eternal life. The second thing he's going to do is he's going to say, I'm that bread that gives life. Okay? Then you would think, well, everybody's going to run and get some of that bread. And he goes, now I'm going to teach you why Some come for that bread, and some don't. And then he's going to wind it down by saying, let me tell you why I'm calling myself bread. And then finally, he's going to say, all right, what are you going to do about it? So let's start with this premise. Jesus calls the people to seek bread that gives eternal life. So let's start in verse 25, or actually in verse um, 22. The next day, the multitude stood on the other side of the sea and saw that there was no other small boat there, except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, and his disciples had gone away alone. And there came other small boats from Tiberias, near to the place where they ate the bread, after the Lord had given thanks. And when the multitude saw Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now notice, seeking Jesus, and when they found him on the other side, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? So we're going to see this theme in John that there are many people that seek Jesus, not always for the right reasons, and he's always weeding them out. Right from the beginning, chapter 1, remember two disciples followed Jesus, and he said, what do you seek? So Jesus is going to call these guys out. He goes, you're seeking me for the wrong reasons. People do that today. They come to church because they want to find some peace of mind, or they want to find some business contacts, or meet a a good wife, or be an upstanding citizen. 
Jesus says, you should seek me because I can give you eternal life. So notice, he's going to call them out. You're seeking me for the wrong reasons. Look at verse 26. Truly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. We have a a brother here today from Togo. He's a pastor in Togo, West Africa. And one of the things that's really troubling the church in Africa is the prosperity gospel. These evangelists coming in and and fleecing poor people and saying, Jesus wants you to be rich and, and healthy and wealthy, so give us your money. And so many people seek Jesus for the wrong reasons. Who wouldn't seek Jesus if he was like a a magic genie who can give me lots of money and make everything go well for me? But the reason we should seek Jesus is not because he gives us free stuff, but because we want to receive eternal life. And so Jesus says in verse 27, don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man shall give you. Now, this is much like he said to the woman. If you knew who I was, you'd ask me, I'd give you living water. Now he says, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me to give you some food and you'll live forever. Well, why should I listen to Jesus? Look at verse 27. For on him, the Father, even God, has set his seal. No matter what your view of the elections, aren't you glad they're over? If I see one more commercial, I'm pulling my eyes out. And they always end with this. This commercial was endorsed by blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, stop it. That's why I love DVR. Jesus is saying, here's why you should listen to me. Because everything I say is endorsed by God himself. God has set his seal upon me. At my baptism, my father said this. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. What I'm finding even in our community is that a number of you are coming from different backgrounds and churches, and what you're doing is you're going, wow, I'm learning now what Jesus said. And listen, whatever Jesus said that contradicts what you were taught before them, on Jesus, God has set a seal, not on Methobacterians, on Jesus. Keep following Jesus and his words. So Jesus says to them, listen, You're working for the wrong food. But humans love to work. This is what's so hard for people to understand. Eternal life is a gift of God's grace. There's nothing you can do to work for it. So notice how eager these eager beavers are. Verse 28. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And some of you are going to churches where they're telling you, you have to do this and this. You have to do penance, you have to give, you have to help the poor, you have to keep the Ten Commandments. You can do it. Maybe some of you are going to a church where they're telling you, and you also have to go to purgatory. I went to a Methodist church that says, keep the golden rule. You cannot work to do anything to earn your salvation. Jesus said, this is verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe, that you believe. You have to renounce your works. You have to go, it's not what I did. It's what he did on the cross. So here's how you can sort of test out if you believe that. If God were to say to you right now, why should I let you into heaven? Are you going through your portfolio and saying, well, I've done this? Or what I hear a lot of people say, well, I never did this. Surely he's going to let me in. I haven't murdered anyone. See, you're you're relying on your works. Cast them aside and believe 
that Christ is everything you need for eternal life. Christ and what he did on the cross. So Jesus is basically saying, look, I am the bread that gives eternal life. Now, let's talk about this. You should seek the bread that gives life. And now Jesus says, I am that bread. So back then, we're going to learn later in this chapter that this is all taking place in a synagogue. In synagogues, they had readings from the scripture. And it's possible, one commentary suggested, that the reading that morning was from the book of Exodus, and they were talking about the Passover. And remember how God had given the children of Israel bread in the wilderness. So when Jesus says, I can give you food that will bring eternal life, look how they respond in verse 30. Therefore they said to him, well, do a sign for us that we may see and believe. What work do you perform? In fact, there's been some writings found a few centuries later of, of Meth- or Jews who said, the second redeemer will make manna like Moses did. And maybe that's what they were starting to believe back then. So they're like, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Just like it's written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Verse 32. Now look what Jesus says. This is really fascinating. He's telling them, I'm the bread. Truly I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. You know what Jesus is saying here is, you guys are making too much about Moses. Yeah, Moses is a good guy. Moses pointed to me. You're preoccupied with Moses when you should be preoccupied with me. Now, could I draw a parallel here? And I mean this in, 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 in gentleness and kindness. Many people today are making too much about Mary and not enough about Jesus. You will find that if you read the Bible... The Bible does not place emphasis on Mary. It places emphasis on Jesus. The Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and man. It's Christ. So I want to encourage you, just like the Jews were placing too much emphasis on Moses and not on Jesus, don't place emphasis on Mary, but on Christ himself. So Jesus says in verse 33, the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they're like, hey, you got a loaf of that? Lord, give us some of this bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall not thirst. Now, this is a, Jesus keeps repeating this theme, that we all have this core emptiness. People are unsettled. There's this core emptiness that says, there's something missing in my life, and we're trying to stuff stuff in there. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's vacations. Maybe it's if the Eagles win the Super Bowl. Maybe it's if I get a new job. Maybe if my stocks go up and what we find. Maybe if I'm a movie star. Maybe if I'm beautiful. Maybe if I I do a makeover. Maybe if I find myself and have self-actualization and Jesus is going, no. I'm the one. Come to me and that core emptiness will be met. Receive me into your life and you will find that sense of meaning and peace. This doesn't mean that we still won't need to be fed and filled, but that's once and for all sense that Jesus is what I've been missing. Anybody found that? I'm glad two of you have. Anybody else? You said, yeah, Jesus is really, he's, he's, he's satisfied my deepest need. Say amen if you believe that. Now, 
Doesn't mean we don't struggle, but, 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 but he's putting that out there. Now, I would think at this point, these guys would be falling all over one another going, Jesus, give me some of that bread. And Jesus does something very interesting. He begins to explain why some do and some don't come to him for eternal life. This is a fascinating mystery. The Bible's very clear that if people don't come to Jesus, they're going to go to hell, and it's their fault. But there's this mystery in Scripture, and that is, those who do come to Jesus, it's because he chose you ahead of time. Not because he knew what you would do. He chose you and he opened your eyes and he drew you and brought you to saving faith. This is what's called sovereign grace election. Now, not all of you believe that. Some of you believe that God chose you because he knew you would choose him. But I'm going to suggest that the Bible's quite strong in this idea that we come to Jesus because we're chosen by his grace alone. He didn't choose us because we believe. He chose you. That's why you believe. Now, if that's the first time I heard that, I, wasn't, I didn't like it because I didn't understand it. So please don't cast it out and say, well, that, that's stupid. Look at what Jesus teaches us here. He's saying, look, I can give you eternal life, but let me explain why many people aren't coming. Verse 36, Jesus said, I said to you, you have seen me and you don't believe. Now watch this. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. Now, wait a minute, what do you mean all that the Father gives me? So what we learn from other passages in this one is that before the world began, God selected a group of people and that he would give them to Christ. And each one of them that the Father chose and gave to Christ, the Father's going to draw them to Jesus. So Jesus talks about this a lot in John. When he prays in John 17, he goes, Father, everyone you gave me, I lost none of them. So out there in this world of billions of people, there are people from every tribe and tongue and nation that God is calling. Jesus chose them. God chose them. Now, some of you might be wondering, well, what if I'm not one of them? I, I want to come to Christ. I want to be saved. What if I'm not one that Father has given me? Look at the rest of the verse. Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So if you're sitting there going, what if I want to come, but I'm not chosen? You won't want to come. And if you want to come, what did he say here? Ah, sorry, you're not one of the ones. You say, well, you don't know my past. Pastor, do you know what I've done? Look what verse 37 says. All who come to me, I will certainly not cast out. Doesn't matter what you've done in your past. You come to Jesus with all your heart and faith, and he will receive you. So don't get bent out of shape. Ooh, what if he didn't call me? If you want to come, he's not going to kick you out. If you do come, it's because he's calling you. Now let's keep reading. He says, for I came down, verse 38, I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Now here's that phrase again. Of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. Remember the fragments? You're like, that makes me feel like I was just a little fragment out in the grass, and God came along and gathered me up. Yes. <laughs> the Bible says, consider your calling, brethren. Not many wise or noble, powerful, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world. By his doing, I'm in Christ, so that all the glory goes to God, and we boast in the Lord. And you can take comfort in this. If God has called you, you can be secure. Jesus says, I lose nothing. 
You're like, but I messed up. I am a believer, but I messed up. He's not going to kick you to the curb because you messed up. He says, I will raise you up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus says, the reason some of you aren't coming to me is because you're not mine. Now look at verse 41. The Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? In other words, I changed that boy's diapers. What is he, a wacko? I've known him since he was a baby. What's he talking about? He came down from heaven. Kid's nuts. But the thing to think about is this is the way a lot of people, they think they got it all figured out. Oh, yeah, I already read the Bible. I know all that stuff. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't know anything yet. And I don't say that to put you down, but a lot of people have a closed mind. Oh, I got it all figured out. I I talked to a a young man this week. He said, I'm an atheist. I said, so you're going to tell me you know everything? You've been behind every planet? You know there's no God? So Jesus doesn't bother saying, well, let me explain. I really was born of a virgin. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. I was actually, no. But he, because he's God, he knows what people are thinking. So verse 33 says, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You're like, well, I thought I just, he didn't draw me. I just remember all of a sudden wanting to be saved. Keep thinking. You did. You did want to be saved. But Why? Just this last couple of weeks, I've seen people who have come forward and said, just something told me, I believe. I just want to get up and come forward. I had another lady this morning. Four people came to Christ this morning. And I mean, we're talking. They're not just going, here, raise my hand. I'm out of here. And I want to, I want it. God's drawing people. Pray that God will draw people. And if you're feeling that tug in your heart, he's drawing you. Why will you fight against him? So Jesus says, I will raise them up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. If you're taught by me, you're not going to come to Christ. D.L. Moody had a drunk come up to him one day. He goes, Mr. Moody, you saved me a long time ago. And Moody goes, it appears that I saved you. It doesn't look like the Lord saved you. So in the same way, if you come to Christ, you weren't taught of Tom. You were taught of God. God opened your eyes. You were blind. If you're here today, you're, many of you are here today because someone invited you. Why did someone invite you? Why did you come? I remember this guy saying to me, hey, you want to come to my church? I don't know why I came. But I was like, yeah. And then I was suddenly interested. They gave me a gospel of John. I just couldn't put it down. Why? Because I was being taught by God. What a blessing that God would be so merciful to poke me on the shoulder and say, Come. And it's so exciting when adults come, they're like, why didn't, where have I been all my life? And you're like, right where you are. Well, why didn't I believe this before? Because you weren't taught by God, but you're being drawn. And Jesus says, everyone who comes to me has learned from the Father. Not that any man's seen the Father, except he is from God. He's seen the Father. Now, Jesus is going to wind it up here, because, and he's going to say this. Listen, let me tell you why I'm calling myself bread. For two reasons. Number one, Because my body is going to be sacrificed like bread, sacrificial bread. Look at verse 47. Truly I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Now, you may come from a church where they're going to say to you, 
you can't know if you're going to heaven. That's presumptuous. You're just going to have to wait and see. Is that what Jesus says? He who believes in me has eternal life. Do you believe that? You can have assurance that you are a completely forgiven child of God who is guaranteed to be raised up on the last day. Jesus says, your fathers ate man in the wilderness. They died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that you eat it and you don't die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If you eat this bread, you'll live forever. Now notice here. And the bread, see, this is why, why'd you use bread? He goes, the bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Jesus, why'd you call yourself bread? Because I'm giving myself on the cross for the life of the world. And, and, and I'm going to die on the cross. And I'm going to be broken for you. And when I'm up there, I'm going to say, it's finished. Not I'll split it with you. But the second reason why he calls himself bread is because his body is sacrificed. Because believing in him is like eating bread. So now he's going to say this. I'm bread, and I want you to eat me. Eat my flesh. And they're like, what are you talking about? Are you nuts? But listen, eating is a familiar phrase, even in American culture, to illustrate that you're really taking something into your core. Let me give you some examples. Have you ever devoured a book? Have you ever had to eat your words? Have you ever had someone preach and you were drinking it in? This one, this is the one that gets me. Just this, this week, um, D.A. Carson was pointing this out and, and, and he talked about grandparents. And grandparents and grandkids, you know, I heard a preacher say this, um, Pastor, I haven't shown you all the pictures of my grandkids. And the pastor said, I know, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> so let me do just for a second, because my wife said, my little grandson came over on Friday morning. She was off, and I come down to breakfast, and there he is. And my wife says, couldn't you just eat him up? Right? We use that language when you're talking about taking something fully in and embracing it. That's all Jesus means. To, to believe in him is like eating bread. It's like bringing him. It's not taking communion. It's believing with all your heart and receiving him into your life. So let's look quickly. The Jews began to argue with one another. How can he give us his flesh to eat? Verse 52. Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in yourself. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, I'll raise you up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. If you eat my flesh and you drink my blood... You abide in me and I in you. Now again, I don't think here he's talking about communion. They didn't know what communion was. John may have hint of it, been hinting to that later. As the living Father sent me, I live because the Father. So he who eats me shall live. This is the bread who came down from heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread shall live forever. And he said this in the synagogue. So think about this. If someone says to you, have you ever received Christ? Many of you are confused because you're going, oh yes, I took the sacraments. I ate this. It's not eating a wafer that gives you life. It's believing and receiving Christ into your life as Lord and Savior. It's a decision. When God opens your eyes and you go, I'm lost. I don't want to try to work my way. I don't want to keep pursuing my sins. I want to become a forgiven follower. Oh, Lord, come into my life. And when you do that, when you believe, Jesus gives you eternal life. Now, the last thing we're going to look at, and just real briefly, is this. Jesus is going to now give an invitation, 
And he's basically going to show us this idea of sovereign election. Because there were a lot of people heard this sermon. Some liked it, some didn't. That's why I said, I'm the first pastor here that pleases everyone. You, you know how they tell you, Pastor, you can't please everyone. I say, yeah, I can. I please some when I came, some while I'm here, and the rest when I leave. So eventually you'll all be happy. But Jesus, Jesus is going to say, listen, I know this doesn't please everyone. Look at verse 60. Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? I told you I came down from heaven and you're upset with that. I told you to eat my flesh and you're freaking out about that. What if you saw me ascending where I was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I just spoke to you, they're spirit and life. And there are some of you who don't believe. Now, this is what troubles me, is that people nowadays are like, oh, oh, well, if, if this is bothering you, um, just believe in me. You don't have to change. Just, okay, uh, come next week. I'll give you a, 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 another basket of bread. I'll light myself on fire. We'll have a big party, and we'll, we'll give free pizza. Just come. Please, I want lots of people. Jesus is sorting them out. He's going, look, these are my words. And, and recently, I've, I've heard, and I've heard this over the years, people are like, I don't... I'm not coming there anymore. I don't like what Pastor Tom said. Now, if it's something that I said or the way I said it, please forgive me. I'm learning. But if it's what the Bible says and you don't like what the Bible says, could I plead with you to change your mind? The Bible says in the last days, men will want their ears tickled. They'll turn away from the truth. So, so I could tell you, oh, God loves everybody. We're all gonna go to heaven. Let's just hold hands and sing kumbaya. But that's not what the Bible says. And so these people are going, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, and say, oh, I'm sorry, come on. I need lots of friends. Instead, he looks over at Peter. And look at this. It says in verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. I need to make a quick point here. When we say we're making disciples who make disciples, not all disciples in John are believers. Okay? So in the Gospel of John... A disciple is just a, a, a person who's curious and starts following Jesus. But there's a great attrition rate. A lot of people who, who were listening for a while, they withdraw. And Jesus said that's going to happen. He said, some will receive my word with joy. But then he said this. If you continue in my words, then you are a true disciple. So please, just because you might have raised your hand or you like hearing the Bible, that doesn't mean you're a true follower. One of the marks of being a true follower is you will continue to follow. You will trust and follow Jesus. You will begin to want to obey Jesus. You will begin to want to share Jesus with others. So if you're still curious and you haven't made a commitment, that doesn't make you a bad person, but don't think because... This is interesting that, that you're a believer. Put your trust in Jesus. Surrender to follow him. And he will save you. So Jesus looks at Peter and, and, and he says, you don't want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. I love that verse. Mark that one down. Underline that one. Because I want you to think about this. There are a lot of people who for a time 
say that they've come to Jesus. Yeah, I tried, I tried that Christianity stuff. Didn't work. Or, you know what? I thought I might want to follow Jesus, but now that I'm kind of seeing the outcome, no. I'm not liking it. If you turn away from Jesus, please tell me, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go when your baby's lying in the hospital? You going to go to a fortune teller? Where are you going to go? Are you going to go to the Mayo Clinic when you have cancer? Because they can heal me. Where are you going to go when you're trying to get answers to life? Are you going to go to the most smart physicist at Harvard so he can explain life's answers to you? A lot of stuff Dr. Phil says is kind of silly, but I like one thing that he says. When people make dumb decisions, he goes, so how's that been working for you? And I want to encourage you, don't turn away from Jesus. Because if you do, where are you going to go? When you die, you're going to stand before him. So cling to his words. Believe in him with all your heart. And be greatly encouraged that if you do believe in him, you're one of his. You're a child of God. You're a forgiven follower. He will never forsake you. So let me close with a couple thoughts. This week, even if this is new to you, thank God for his gracious calling, even if you don't understand it yet. If you say, well, it's a little confusing. I thought I chose Christ. You're telling me he chose me. Thank God that he called you. Secondly, take comfort that those whom he calls, he keeps. Amen. He's not going to say, you know what? You dropped the ball. You're off the team. He called you. He began a good work. in you. He's not done. No matter what, what's going on, you're like, I'm scared. I'm, I'm, I, I messed up. He's not done. He bought you. He keeps you. All those whom he called, he justified. And all those whom he justifies, he glorifies. Keep following him. If you're thinking about quitting, don't. Read the book of Hebrews. Third, praise the Lord that your core emptiness has been filled by Jesus. So if you're going, I can't understand why I'm not happy in my marriage. Maybe try finding your happiness in Christ. I thought if I got this new promotion, I'd be happy. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy us. So persevere in your faith regardless of who abandons Jesus. And finally this. Remember that if you don't come to Jesus, you are fully responsible for that. There's no one who's going to stand before Jesus, including Judas, and say, it's not my fault. The devil and Judas and every other unbeliever goes to hell, and it's their fault. And so you don't need to be wondering, oh, well, what if he didn't choose me? If you go to hell, it's your fault. And if you want to come to Jesus, what did he say? All who come to me, I won't cast out. So either you're maybe feeling you're too sinful, and stop that. He said, come, I won't cast you out. Or you're still trusting in your good works. You're going, well... I, I hope I've done enough. And Jesus goes, stop it. This is the only work you need to do, believe. So I want to invite you this morning. Are you ready to come to Jesus? No holds barred. I, hell or high water, I don't care what people think. Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the words of Jesus. Thank you that you are calling to yourself your sheep. And I pray, Lord, that those of us who have believed will just be full of gratitude. I thank you, Jesus, that you love me. I thank you that you drew me. 
I'm sad that I disappoint you, but I'm thankful that you keep me. And Lord, I pray you'll bless all of us and help us to go out there and win our children and our loved ones and our neighbors and our enemies. May we win Muslims and atheists and people from every, every background. And if you're here this morning, is there someone or some ones and you're saying, I feel as though Jesus is calling me. I feel drawn to him and I'm willing to turn from my sins. I want to believe in him this morning. I believe with all my heart that he died and rose again. If that's you this morning, we don't have time for you to come forward, but I want you to just raise your hand. If you want me to pray for you, but then I'm going to ask, I'm going to be in the front, I'm going to ask you to come and talk to me. If you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I, I feel God calling me, and I want to come to Jesus. Anyone at all? I won't delay it. Just raise your hand if you want to come to Jesus this morning. You feel drawn. Yes, anyone else? Be sure to come and talk to me. Father, thank you so much. We trust that you will bring to yourself those who are being drawn by you. We thank you for this and pray that many more will come. Bless us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. <clears throat>